What, did you think you were getting a TED Talk here? Welcome to Common Threads. This is an interview series with the Highland Park High School class of 1995. Uh, about me, I, um, you know, just, I think I'll just kick it off and go through uh, what I've been doing since high school. Sorry, I had to get a little water there. Um, so I went up to Lawrence after high school and I attended uh, KU. I wasn't the best student. And I had a lot of odd jobs. I mean, a lot. Uh, God, there was one job where I was like waiter at Barbed Wire Steakhouse. It was it was just steakhouse out on Iowa. I think it was Iowa. It was a steakhouse out steakhouse that uh, they would put peanuts on the floor, so it, it you know it made the customer feel like they were walking into a rustic, very genuine steakhouse. Well, the thing they really don't think about. When you have peanuts, when you spray peanuts all over a cement floor, is that when you step on the peanuts, there's oil in those peanuts. There's sometimes there's oil in those peanut shells. So as a waiter at Bar Wire Steakhouse, you would see waiters just tear their ACL left and right. I mean, it was awful. You'd be walking around with these massive trays with, you know, it would be T-bones, ribeyes, and there would be at least two wipeouts a night. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, I worked there in, uh, God, it was the summer of 97. Uh, let's see, what, what else did I do? I, I, was, uh, I was a houseboy for a sorority. Um, that means that I waited on the uh, girls of Gamma Phi Beta at um, basically anything they wanted. I did for three semesters. Actually, did a double whammy on that one. Uh, it was the summer, uh, spring of '96. I was trying to do the dish dog job at Delta Gamma, and then houseboy at Gamma Phi. So at Gamma Phi, I would finish up, and then I'd run over to Delta Gamma and start washing dishes. It was so stupid. It it just didn't work out. And I mean, my head wasn't my head wasn't in academics at all. I, uh, after that, I went to, um, well, actually, I had a pretty cool accomplishment while I was at Kansas. I, I was part of a group that ran the Jayhawk Music Festival. My fraternity put it, uh, you know, I didn't start it. I didn't, it wasn't my idea. I just walked into it and did promotions for the Jayhawk Music Festival. And it was 12,000 people. I mean, it was out at Clinton Lake State Park. It was a big festival. Um, I was way in over my head, but our the bands were Cake, Cracker, Crystal Method, uh, The Urge, um, and then uh, Matchbox Twenty. And I have no idea what happened on their scheduling, but they got hosed in the summer of '97, spring of '97. So they had the the big hit push, and they started booking all of the event, like their tour, before the song Push came out. When Push came out, it went to number one. It was a huge hit. <clears throat> However, they, they had booked all these small venues all over the Midwest. Um, so, it, I mean, they were playing like fraternity parties in 97 and had the number one song in the country. It was, it was crazy. And they played our 
uh, they played the Jayhawk Music Festival. And while I, while I was at the Jayhawk Music Festival, I actually, I was in the process of transferring down to TCU. And at TCU, I kind of got my act together. I studied really hard. Um, I was a history major. Uh, did a little, uh, did a little business in there, but I was really into history. Uh, some reason I was studying a lot of Russian history. Um, became pretty fascinated with um, just the history of the of Great Britain um, and Russia, and just kind of the the period of time before like ninth, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. My dad was actually a big Civil War buff, and so I thought I was going to be um, really interested in the Civil War and taking classes on that, but it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> with a history major, you tend to think you're going into law school. That's your path. And we're always told your path is you study this, you go here. You... So at TCU, I, I, was in, I had like, probably had like 12 jobs during my t- two years at TCU and one of the jobs was working at a law firm called Blaze and Hightower and I ran files to the uh, Tarrant County Courthouse and the Dallas County Courthouse it, and, th- and that's pretty much it so I'd get out of school and then I'd start I'd go to the office and they were so cool like they were the young lawyers um, man just people that you, like, they were, I, I don't know, I can't describe them, they were so smart, uh, Grant, like the Blaze Brothers and, and Wes, they were just, they were awesome, but I tended to see, I would stay in their office and study uh, at night, and I tended to see that they were still there, and they were, they were still working, and when I would leave, it'd be like 10 at night, and they would still be up there working. And I pretty much came to the conclusion that I didn't want to do that. Um, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to have anything part of that. Um, so, I what else did I do at TCU? Um, I actually I gained the nickname the Jamaican because I had so many jobs. Did any of you remember that Saturday Night Live skit with the Jamaican? He's like, basically it's just making fun of the. I don't know. This guy comes in dreadlocks and he's like, "Hey man, I got eight jobs and I'm still you." Know, it's um that's how I got that nickname. So if I can just name them off, I did promotions for ninety. What was it? Ninety four, ninety four point five. The zone. Remember the zone guy here. Uh, I did. I was a leasing agent at the reserve at Stonegate. I waited tables at the ale house. Um, I the reserve at Stonegate was the job that. Lock me down. So I'd be at the reserve at Stonegate, the reserve at Willow Lake, just working um, on Hewlin, on Hewlin Boulevard, going back and forth. Uh, and then in '99, summer of '99, TCU had a Lund- leadership in London program that I, uh, I, I thought it'd be cool to to uh, participate in that. So I went over to London, and I, I. Essentially, just did field trips with um, TCU throughout the city of London for about three, four weeks. Great program, amazing program. Um, but one of our field trips was to Bloomberg at Finsbury Square, and we got into that office. 
Sorry, my mouth's getting really dry. Um, we got into that office, and this man named Tibor gave a presentation of the Bloomberg Terminal, and I immediately fell in love with it. I just thought it was the coolest tool I'd ever seen in my entire life. And after he finished his presentation, um, you know, when I walked into the Bloomberg, of course, you know, I was looking for, I was in a panic about trying to find a job. So when walking into Bloomberg, of course, I brought my resume and I grabbed Tibor and I asked him, hey, you know, my name's John Shelburne. I want to, you know, I want to work for you. I want to work for Bloomberg. Um, can I have, um, you know, it, here's my resume. He looked at me in the nicest way. He just kind of told me to F off. Um, <laughs> but he, he, was so, he was so nice. He was like, look, you need to call the guys in London, or sorry, New York, and there's no way you'll ever work in London. We would have to do so much work to get you as, uh, you know, we, we just don't hire Americans in London out of school. So I, you know, rushed back home and filled out the online application. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was funny because while I was at the Bloomberg office, I, I started picking up all these names at the Bloomberg office. And I um, just littered that online application with the names. I was name dropping. I mean, it was like a B-52 carpet bombing. It it was pretty bad, but that at least got a follow-up phone call. And while they were, um, <laughs> while they were asking me all these questions, I think their final question was, uh, who else are you talking to? And somebody gave me this advice. They said, just tell them you're working for Goldman Sachs, or you're talking to Goldman Sachs, and, and that's it. Just tell them you're talking to Goldman Sachs. And so I, I did. I was like, Goldman Sachs. But I had no idea what Goldman Sachs was. Like, I really, um, I knew it was, I knew, I knew it was a financial firm, but I, I just didn't know uh, the prestige or what I was actually saying. Like, I'm talking to Goldman. That's a pretty big deal. And so that, I don't, I have no idea. But that got me, um, that got me an interview with Bloomberg in New York, and. Yeah, that was um that was pretty special because they flew me up to up to New York and it was just to me it was crazy. Um I'd been to New York once before with uh college friends, but I didn't know anybody in New York. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was petrified when I got there. And so they fly they flew me up and I never forget it was like flying over uh LaGuardia. I think it was it might have been JFK, but anyways, it looks like you're about to hit the water. I was losing my, I was losing my, I, I, I like landing it in New York. I was so, I was like, what is this? So you, you basically, I, you, you get invited and then um, took a cabin in the city. I'm in the city and Bloomberg's offices were at 345 Park Avenue, and I, I had like five hours to kill before I walked into that office. And there's just this little, you know, it's New York, there's little restaurants and pizza shops all over the place. So I just kind of went to this pizza shop and just started staring at my resume and um, and drinking coffee. And I probably drank, um, 
I drank a lot of coffee. I drank five hours worth of coffee. So when I got there to, uh, for the interview, um, I was pretty charged up. And I was, uh, also the, the caffeine had an effect where I started sweating. Just, it was so uncomfortable because I tend to get these sweat tacos just underneath your, underneath your pits. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm sweating through my suit. I think everybody can see my, oh my God, I really think people can see the perspiration through my uh, coat jacket. This is so bad. Um, and I sat, so you sit, you know, they call you in and then you sit at the table, you're at the head of the table. And then there's three people at the table and they ask you questions about your resume. And there was this one woman there who, um, God, she was, I mean, she was, she was an ex. I think she worked at Solomon. I'm not positive, but she was, her name was Janice and she, um, it had to be Solomon cause that's where Mike worked for so many years. Um, so what she did is I think she was the bad cop. I think there was good cops and bad cops. And I think she was the bad cop. And I think, her role was to scare the living hell out of me. And she did a great job at doing that because she asked me to sell. It was a whole sell me this pencil bit, but she got my notebook that I just bought. It was one of those notebooks you put a legal pad in and she slams the notebook down on the table and she says, sell me this notebook. I was like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. So I was just, you know, I mean, butt cheeks just clenched up, and I was like, oh, God. So I started babbling, 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 and she was like, listen, I want you to sell me this notebook, kid. And so I didn't, I didn't, like, at that point, I was like, I'm fucked. I'm done. I, that's, it's over. Um, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go, like, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go out with a bang here, and, um, Let's, uh, so I just kind of did one of those dramatic pauses. Oh, here's another thing. I remember this. This is really great. I went out and bought fake glasses for that interview. I totally forgot about this. So I bought these fake glasses. Um, and I'll never forget. It. I spent like 80 bucks and I put these fake glasses on and you were like clear, but I really wanted to look smart and analytical. So I, like I looked down and then when I come back up, the glasses kind of bobbled. That's why I remember this. And I told her, you know, I, I was, I was telling her, I was like, I was like, look, um, do you have kids? And she was like, yeah, or something along those lines where I, you know, I asked her about her family and if she, if she wanted her kids to be successful. And I said, cause your kid's going to look like an idiot if he doesn't look professional with this type of notebook. And she like, she bought it. And I couldn't believe it. She really did buy it. And so I was, um, oh, it was terrible because when I was walking out, um, there was just this line of people that uh, had been, that were about to get interviewed. And they were, I mean, they were just like me before I walked in. They were just petrified. And I went downstairs and it was, I don't know, it, it was just, it, it was a horror scene. People were crying in the lobby. Um, or just right outside of the building. I mean, people were just like, ah, that was the worst thing. And I just kind of felt, I, 
I felt pretty good, but I could see why they wouldn't hire me. But I felt good. I was like, okay, I mean, at least she bought the notebook and I got to see New York. Um, so I fly home and then they called me a few days later and said, would you like to come up to um, Princeton, New Jersey to get a job with uh, Bloomberg? And I said, yeah. So I went up to uh, New Jer- Princeton, New Jersey. And it was it was just incredible because the analytics department of Bloomberg um, was four hundred, two hundred. Sorry, I I forgot how many kids. But there was there was like four hundred kids in the analytics department. And so what they did for training is that they put everyone in. A, so you have like a class system that is fed into analytics. So they put our class in this hotel called the Summerfield Suites. And at the Summerfield Suites, we would wake up and then we would go to the Bloomberg building uh, in Princeton at College Road. It wasn't the the Skillman location. We would go to the Bloomberg building and we would get a crash course in finance and Bloomberg. And it was ridiculous in terms of uh, a learning curve. And the whole reason why is that I didn't know anything about, I knew, I thought I knew equities, but I didn't know equities. So I didn't know anything about fundamental analysis or technical analysis with equities. And I sure as shit didn't know anything about, sorry, I I didn't know anything about um, fixed income. I mean, I was terrible with fixed income. I had no idea what a bond was. So I sat for eight weeks, starting out with equities, um, learning about fundamental analysis, technical analysis, and then they ramp it up into fixed income, and they go over munis, corporates, mortgages, um, convertible bonds. I mean, you're sitting there and you're 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 playing with uh, like nuking a delta on a convertible bond. And you don't even have a chance at understanding this. Um, and so what, you, what they're also doing on top of this is that they're teaching you how to use the Bloomberg terminal on top of it. So it was just this water hose of information coming at you. And so Bloomberg has its own language. It's called Bloomberg Speak. And it's all functions. And so you just learn the functions. And it's essentially getting note cards, writing down the function, and then just hammering down note cards every night, memorizing um, flashcards, right? So I would put together flashcards of Bloomberg functions and try and remember. And then when you graduate from Bloomberg University, you then go into the analytics department, which is essentially customer service. And you would sit there for nine hours a day answering questions from Bloomberg customers from all over the world. Didn't matter what they were Thinking it like it didn't matter your skill level, you were just going to get a question, and it was, I it's like chat roulette for, for financial questions for Bloomberg questions. You would just pull up a question, and it would be like, "Hey, I'm looking to uh, what's the DES function?" And you would just type back, "Okay, this is what you do on DES," or, "Hey, I'm looking to." put on this interest rate swap with it, this leg and this leg, and then you just kind of sit there and panic and don't know what you know, what to do. And we had like this 
we had a uh, oh god what was it it was like this ADES no it wasn't the ADES hotline it was like some hotline you would hit and you know a specialist would come over and they'd be like okay what's going on and you're like dude I don't know what I'm doing like this guy he's got a convey he's got a question about uh, convertible bond functionality and they would then take over or Bloomberg had this amazing internal system called PhoneGo that I just I I have to say it is uh, it was the best internal phone number system of all time. I you know Mike Bloomberg developing Bloomberg Mike Bloomberg probably developed the best internal systems I've ever seen of anybody. And that was all of the contracts were electronic, all of the customer service was electronic. There was no paper at all involved in this. And so you might have a like you could look up somebody and this is year 2000. You could look up somebody on Bloomberg's internal system and find out the programmer who built the, uh, like, OVCV, right? And it would be this dude in Tel Aviv that, you know, he, he built it, and you could just ring him up um, or send him a Bloomberg message. And this is before Bloomberg IB, and you could send him a Bloomberg message. And they would get back to you, and it was nuts. I mean, it was so cool. And, I mean, hell, I barely had a Hotmail account going, and Bloomberg was just, I mean, it was way ahead of its time. So uh, from there, I then um, they asked me to move out to San Francisco to work on the trading systems. So uh, the trading systems uh, product, the Tom's product for Bloomberg, and trading systems was really just a way to link. So if you let's say you're a bank um, and you have a sales for like a sell-side institution, you're a broker or you're a bank. So all of your Bloomberg terminals could be linked up and you could type your tickets electronically on Bloomberg and send them to your clearing firm. And in 2000, this was ridiculously unique. And I think they built this with um, Merrill or maybe it was DLJ. I'm not sure where the, the origin of this uh, Tom's came from, but Man, it had to be Merrill because Merrill had okay. So Merrill, Merrill had its own Bloomberg, uh, like it had its own like Bloomberg support de- department on the desk, and they called it the Lizard Lounge. And these guys, I mean, they would just get slammed with Merrill traders saying, "Hey, you got to fix this because you know I'm pricing out this new issue agency deal in my Bloomberg." Terminal, not the Bloomberg terminal, but my Bloomberg transaction system isn't working. And man, these guys, like the people that worked in the Lizard Lounge, I had so much respect for because they were, I mean, they were in, they they were in the heat of it. Um, and so I was essentially built a product with that trading system, and then they started selling it. And it was a really, it was a great idea because it kept terminal sticky inside of these banks. So when anybody came along and said, hey, we're going to sell the, you know, we're going to sell Bloomberg. We're going to get rid of Bloomberg. All the traders were like, no, you're not. Like, just, we got Tom's, like, it's staying here. So it was almost like, it was a great strategy by uh, management at Bloomberg. They moved me out to San Francisco in 2000, and I started working. <laughs> My first gig was doing the, um, doing working on, um, when uh, J.P. Morgan and Chase merged, they uh, I had to be the support on the desk. In San Francisco, finance people are just—I mean, it's crazy. They have 
these hours that you start at four four thirty in the morning and then you go to I uh, you know, you go to um two in the afternoon. That's that's really their their day. But it's four in the morning. So I remember like waking up, getting coffee and being on a trading floor at the age of what was twenty three, um, four in the morning. And it's you know, it's it it's a major merger and they're merging systems. And it like the first day, oh hell broke loose because you know, I think they didn't link like the firm numbers, like something like minuscule. Everybody did everything they possibly could. And I was calling um I was calling a few people and they were in cabs. You know, they were they were down at the I think it was either uh Chase's I for, I forgot whose office it was, but they were in the cab back to Bloomberg and they're screaming at me and they're like, Don't call me, I've got so many things going on. It was the money market desk at um it was the money market desk. So it was like handling all these crazy orders from the large asset managers um on the West Coast. And oof, man, that was a rough day. Um and I really like Bloomberg was great. They flew me all over for ten years I worked there and they flew me all over. Um they flew me all over the West Coast. Um I was in Seattle, LA Denver, Salt Lake, um, and I just, I had a great time. I loved it. And when I lived in San Francisco, um, I started out with, um, so I was a Craigslist kid. And when, when, when you're in San Francisco, rent was about 1400 to 1500 And I didn't, I mean, Bloomberg was great, but they weren't paying, I mean, the, the, the pay was good. It was amazing. But when you live in a city like San Francisco, there's no way you can afford rent and, uh, you know, and make, you know, a salary that like you're barely, you're barely clearing. Um, at the end of the month, you, you're not taking home a lot, to put in that 401k, but it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, my, my experience trying to live in it like throughout San Francisco was you go on Craigslist, you basically walk around and interview with people for like an hour. And then they decide, okay, it seems like you're cool enough to live with us, which is crazy. And I lived with, uh, lived down in Cow Hollow for a while. And then Mark Westerberg lived with me. He, he, uh, there was a whole crew at uh in San Francisco from Highland Park and they were over on what was it Cole uh Clayton and uh Clayton and Hayes. But they were they were all out there um and it was uh it was a good crew. I mean there was a good crew of people in San Fran just in and out of San Francisco for about ten years. Um and it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. So we uh yeah, I lived with Mark and we had a great time. I mean, it was a ton of fun. Shrammy moved out there probably like 2005 and it just turned into the the best the wildest years of my life. I'll I'll tell you that. Um you know, it was uh god, we made we had such a tight group of of friends in San Francisco and if we, if I ever have more time or you can corner me at a reunion, I'll tell you some stories. Um, 
But I moved back to Dallas in 2010. And moving back to Dallas was great. Uh, I was working as a uh, corporate bond salesperson for a few different shops. Kind of hopped around there for a little bit. Um, and and then um, when I when we initially moved, my wife, uh, she got a job with uh, Match, Match Group, <clears throat> Match.com. And it she just it, she she did really really well um and the it, what was happening is that my vision of of being in fixed income was it or being on a trading floor and actually working um within the world of trading is that it's just it wasn't as glamorous as i thought and there was a lot of pressure and i was just staring at these they call them IB chats. I was just staring at a chat message all day, and my eyes—I really thought my eyes were bleeding. One day when um, I was just—I was waiting for a bid, and it—you know—I was so. I mean, it's like we were doing a like five million of this uh, oil and gas uh, company, this like shallow water oil and gas, Saratoga. That was a Saratoga Energy, and I was trading. At distress prices, and so I'm just waiting for a bid. And I, I like you're so tense when you're waiting for that bid to come in, um, or offer or whatever. I mean, like it's just you're just you know every day is just a new battle. And when liquidity dries up, you really gotta like it's tough. I mean, it is the guys that are, that make money that don't have big balance sheets those. Those guys are special. I mean, they're really special um, because they have to. I mean, they have to squeeze blood out of a rock every day, and it's amazing to watch. Like it, it really is. Um, I am so I'm essentially I am trying to squeeze blood out of a rock. I'm just getting told every day to go pound sand, and my wife sends me a text and says, "Do you want to move to London? I just got an opportunity." I was like, "Yeah." Let's get out. <laughs> um, so I had moved out to London, and we were there from 2014 to 2018. And being in, uh, yeah, being in London was it, it was fun. I um, I drank every day. Uh, it's true. Like the pub culture is real out there. Uh, you just just start hammering pipe pints. It's just the thing you do. Um, and while we were there. We moved when my wife was four months pregnant, three months pregnant with our first. So we moved when she was pregnant. And I thought, I was like, okay, well, if things don't work out with finding a job over there, it's kind of tough. I'll just do this whole Manny thing. So we had uh, Sam in November. And I remember I just, I was like, the day after he came home, I was just frantically calling everybody and, um, Every shop I could find. You know what I actually did is I took Euro Money had some type of a um of a uh, they had a conference and I don't know how I got the attendance list, but I got the attendance list. And it was just the firms and I went down the list and first one I think was like A B and Amro and you know I just looked up guy on LinkedIn and he was like, look, dude, you don't speak Dutch, and no way. And then um. 
And then the next firm was Algamy, and I'd sent uh, CEO of Algamy, Stu, at, at LinkedIn. Nicest guy, really, yeah, just a, just a really affable guy. He, you know, he actually he replied to me. He was, you know, and I talked to him, and uh, man, you know, I got, I feel, I feel like I got so lucky with that experience. Um, so, right as, um, no, you know what it was? This is what happened. This is what happened. Um, we were about, Sam was about, Sam was, um, he, like, I had, it was two weeks before he was born. This is actually a pretty good story. It was two weeks before he was uh, born when I got the interview with Algamy. And the interview with Algamy, I, um, I essentially we set it up for uh, November 25th. And, Tanny went into labor, and she went into labor like the day I'm supposed to have this interview. And I had been in and out of interviews at in London with, you know, just all kinds of dealers where they're like, "Kid, you didn't get, you know, it's not no way you're gonna get a job here. Like you, you didn't go to Oxford. You didn't, you know." And then the smaller shops were like, "Do you have a book of business that you can?" Yeah, no, I didn't. But so Algamy was just, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it really was amazing. And the fact that they took a shot on me was just, it was even, even better. But so I'm interviewing, um, with, uh, Schmidt and the day of the interview, she goes into labor and I have to call Schmidt while I, you know, while we're going to the hospital, and I was like, Hey, um, I'll never get it. Uh, you know, uh, the human resources, uh, manager picked up the phone and she was like, it, it was a really small office. And she was like, uh, yeah, can I help you? And I was like, hi, I'm really sorry about this. I have an interview with Michael this morning. And uh, she was like, well, um, let me talk to him. And I picked up the phone. And I was like, hey, look, I'm sorry. I, my wife went into labor. And he was like, what are you, why are you calling me? And he was, he's just like seven-foot German guy. He was just the sweetest guy in the world. Uh, he was like, let's interview, you know, two weeks. So I, you know, after that, um, went and interviewed. They gave me the job. And um, now I remember, like, so what happened was he was like, when do you want to start? <clears throat> and Sam had come home and I, I was like, uh, like now I, I need to get out of this house. And so Tanny was not happy with me on that one. <clears throat> um, and it, it was funny because Algamy was amazing. It was the synchronicity product and the honeycomb product. And they were installing it all over Europe and they gave me a pass. They gave me a, a plane ticket and said, go out to all over Europe and go talk to all of these banks, asset managers about synchronicity and honeycomb and the bond market. And <clears throat> once I understood the product, I just, you know, I, I thanked them and I was out. It was great. Uh, I saw all the, I was all over Europe. It was amazing. Um, and it was, it was great. And living in London, you know, it, living in London, trying to raise family is is not easy. I don't suggest anybody trying to do it. Um, you don't have any space. Uh, the rent's ridiculous. It's really expensive. You live in some cool areas, but you really tend to spend a lot of time in the parks, um, and it feels like you're living in a hotel room. I love I, – I, I have mixed feelings about my whole experience in London just based on the fact that you're just isolated, and you you try and call family or friends, and 
it's just a different time zone. It's just tough. You know, sometimes it's tough, and sometimes it's great. You see some cool things. You learn, you know, you meet some amazing people. Um, and you just, I don't know. We had this cool apartment though. We lived in this place um, called the Recording Studio, and the Recording Studio is where uh, Queen recorded. Um, they recorded. I God, I forgot. Um, I forgot the name of the album, but Queen used to record a lot of music there. Tina Turner recorded a lot of music there. Uh, it was just, it was this old apartment, like, so it was this apartment that was behind a shirt, um, a church. And in London, you don't really have people, that, they're not throwing up apartments. They just convert old buildings into apartments. So this church had, like, the, where the, the priests and the, the nuns used to live, they converted it into a recording studio. And, man, some of the stories out of there are just so cool. It is uh, Highbury New Park um, was the street name. And it just, the history there was awesome. Walking through that, walking down that avenue was great because it, I didn't really mind walking to and fro the overground, except when it was raining. Um, it was just such a, it was such a cool neighborhood feel. And the one thing in London that they do that's really interesting is that they'll take really posh areas and then they'll mix them with uh, ghetto. I mean, we would essentially call them ghettos, but it's public housing. And so, like, let's say Nob Hill or, or sorry, uh, Notting Hill. So Notting Hill would be, um, that's this area where it's very, very nice in what, on one uh, stretch of the road. I think it's the nicest postcode in in England or the United Kingdom and then a mile down that road is the one of the poorest areas of the United Kingdom and so when people talk about Notting Hill they're you know everybody you know thinks of Hugh Grant or you know all the movies that have been filmed there but it's really this eclectic neighborhood I mean they have this uh, carnival festival there that I, I never attended, um, but it's this, um, you know, it's, it's, it's this uh, Caribbean festival. And there was a huge uh, uh, migration of Caribbeans to, the, to England after the war. And so it was, you know, there, there's so many different cultures there. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just, you, you know, just being there, you, you kind of absorb a lot of knowledge of, ton of knowledge about uh different cultures and also you know just the british empire and just really you thought you know it's always funny like you thought something started in america and then you go and you actually find out where it where it originated um but it is vice versa i mean a lot of british people when they get to the united states they always assume that it originated in britain and you're like no dude that's american um so it it goes back and forth but um uh, i think you know uh, my time, um, I, you know, it was just, it was after, uh, what was it? It might've been after the reunion. I'm not sure, but, uh, my brother passed away in 2016 and that was just really tough to deal with. And then, uh, then, yeah, I think it was, uh, August of 2017 where my mom called and she was like, Hey, uh, I got some test results in, and I I could hear something in her voice that just wasn't right, and I decided to uh, I decided to come home. Like 
I wanted to come home immediately, but you just can't up and leave. And so it was uh, 2017. And uh, yeah, you know, I got home uh, 2000 April. And then uh, everything, you know, it's kind of fell apart. Uh, So I, oh God, I'm getting shake voice. Um, <laughs> didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, but, uh, so after that, um, you know, I worked for Alchemy up in New York for about a year and, um, yeah, we, we had a, uh, pretty good agreement where I would work out of Dallas. And then if anything happened, I would essentially go back to, um, back to New York every two weeks. So I was in and out of the city, and, man, I just, you know. Now, seeing what New York's come and all the restaurants are gone and everything's not, you know, not the same anymore, um, Kind of, I kind of regret the dinners I ate in the hotel because every time I had a chance, I'd just love to go out and explore that city. It was such such a good time. Um, but uh, my, they, they, Essentially, it just did, you know, things just didn't work out. And I had to take care of the estate. The estate was just, it was just crushing me. Um, and I had a lot on my plate. So I, uh, I, I really, you know, I, I, you know, worked on getting everything together with the estate. It was that so, <clears throat> so much harder than you actually think it'll be. Um, and then I started my own company in 2000. 19 i knew all these developers from alchemy in london and i started you know talking to these guys um and just telling them hey uh do you want to um you know if i got the work would you guys be able to build it and the concept was building a uh a fixed in essentially it was a fixed income uh fixed protocol that would be in the cloud just a cheap version of a of a fix hub and for only bonds, only corporate bonds. And, and it was just going to go out to this whole new uh, portfolio of trading platforms have been set up. And I really thought I had some momentum, but uh, COVID kind of killed that. And COVID, um, COVID did just, you know, people were, you know, people were trying to build remote offices um, while the, while lockdowns happen. So I, I went to, um, you know, I got a call and from a former colleague at Algamy and he said, Hey, can you do this, uh, video, this trader video? And I said, yeah, sure. No. Yeah. Dude, thanks for the chance. Thanks for the opportunity. I just, I need some work. And I started, um, I started really getting into learning about Adobe, uh, Adobe products. And so I started using After Effects. I started doing uh, Photoshop. Now I'm doing Audition. And it really is just this whole learning process that I'm taking on. And that's really what the, is coming out of this podcast. Is It's just saying, okay, I really want to learn how to do this new thing. Um, I, I feel like I, you know, I need to do this for you know, ra- raising my skill awareness. And that's you know, if I can, if, if I can get classmates to tell their story on a podcast and we can get something going, great. Why not? 
why not do put yourself out there right and that's what i'm trying to do and you know you're gonna see you know i've been putting these movies up on linkedin and um i'm just you know i'm trying to be a bit more creative with content and i feel like i can you know i feel like i can identify the right audiences um and i've taken crash courses on google analytics and i feel like i'm learning more and more and more about measurement so you know the business is right now working for katana it's an amazing tool i mean it just it's insane what this thing can do and i'm selling uh their platform but i'm also you know i'm kind of i'm doing this uh I'm trying to learn about content and I'm trying to learn about more things with, uh, with content. So I'm going to wrap it up, but I just want to say the rules that I'm going to impose is, um, no politics, no, uh, social justice. I don't want any of that. I really can't handle that right now. Um, and I don't think anybody wants to listen to that either. Um, no, you know, no embarrassing stories about anybody else. Uh, if you want to tell an embarrassing story about me, please go ahead. One thing you'll have to know is I will, um, I'll edit uh, these podcasts. So if it's bad, I'll edit it out. Now, if you do come on the show, um, show, what the fuck? <laughs> um, what, uh, if you do come on and you do an interview, I'll give you a chance to listen to it. I'll just send you a link and you can listen to the interview for about, uh an hour and um then then um i really want to get these out i really want to publish these out so you have like hour at two hours to listen to it and then i'm gonna and then i'm gonna roll um and when you listen to it then um send me your edits if you have any but please don't please i i this whole editing process it's an absolute beast so Let's keep it to a min, minimum. Um, and other than that, look, look, come on, promote your business, talk to your classmates, and let's have some fun. Hey, that was pretty good, wasn't it? If you want to help me cover the cost for the show, I'd really appreciate it. If you can go to my website, catfix.biz, that's C-A-T-F-I-X dot B-I-Z, and donate just a few bucks. I just need to, this is taking a lot of time to produce. And the equipment's not that cheap. Hopefully I have this all set up where you can just put in a credit card or possibly Bitcoin if you really want to. Uh, but it's going to be through Stripe and it's just, it's on the catfix.biz. Click on common threads, then you'll see the donate button. Thanks guys.